Hey, everybody. This is Kelly from True Crime IRL, and I have a fun announcement. This December, I am joining forces with the captain from True Crime Garage, and we are doing a live show together. It's a true crime show. Well, yeah, that's that's what we do, Captain. True crime. First, I'd like to say hello. Thanks for joining me. Uh, and and me. I will be there too, Kelly from True Crime IRL. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about some of our favorite and most controversial cases that we have covered. And we're going to do a little Q&A session. I'm going to be asking the captain a lot of questions that you're going to want to know the answers to. There's a good question. Here's one I get asked a lot. Captain, how do you maintain your sexiness? Um, no, we will not be talking about your sexiness at this show, Captain. We're going to be talking about true crime. I don't mean to correct your expertise, but you missed something. What I miss? Could tell them what the location possibly was. Oh, right, right, right. The Blind Pig at 120 North Walnut Street in Champaign, Illinois. It seems at least on this property that there was actual buildings. Wow. Nothing gets past you. Yes. It's a building. There are buildings. We are doing our show in a building called The Blind Pig, and it's a bar. So if you want to join the captain and I for an amazing night of true crime and fun, beers and blood, mayhem and murder, it's really about setting the tone for the show. Join us at the Blind Pig Company, 120 North Walnut Street in Champaign, Illinois, on Saturday, December 11th at 6 p.m. Go to CaptainFatHands.com slash events to buy your tickets. Check it out. And until then, lock your doors, people. Bye-bye. Cheers. Lock your jib. How many people do you think will be coming? 2011. Mm, No, probably not. Welcome to True Crime IRL, true crime in real life. I'm your host, Kelly Barron's Brink. Everybody, it's Kelly from True Crime IRL, and this is our monthly edition of True Crime Thursday Night, live from Franklin Street Brewing Company in Manchester, Iowa. Tonight, I'm joined by my trusty sidekicks, Kevin and Joe, and we are discussing the life and times of Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, I know Jeffrey Dahmer has been done a lot. I know that. And, you know, that's really why we chose this case, because when we do our true crime live shows, we try to do a case that everyone in the audience is going to be familiar with. Jeffrey Dahmer 
is one of the worst of the worst. And in order to get through these live shows, we do inject a lot of humor. But that humor is never directed at the victims. As always, with every case I discuss on True Crime IRL, my heart and my sympathy goes out to the family of those victims and everybody involved, except Jeffrey Dahmer. Really don't feel too bad for this guy, and we make a lot of jokes at his expense. That's what we do, and that's how we get through this. So without further ado, let's talk some true crime. Live from Franklin Street Brewing Company in Manchester, Iowa. If you'd like to join us in the audience at some point, that would be great. We do this every month. It's always the second Thursday of every month. We might be changing that, though, in the coming new year. So stay tuned for those details. Are we good? I don't know. I think we're good. (laughs) Welcome to True Crime Thursday Night, everybody. I'm Kelly Barron's Brink, and I host a podcast called True Crime IRL. You can find it on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the things. You can find me all of those places. So please listen if you haven't already. And we are here the second Thursday of every month. We do a live show. It's very casual. There is really no format at all to what we do. We just like to talk about true crime. Um, We really appreciate audience participation. If anybody has anything to say, please just come on up to the mic and talk. Raise your hand. Yell out whatever you want to do. So tonight I am joined by my trusty sidekicks, Kevin. Hello. This is Kevin Ostrander. Kevin works here at Franklin Street. Or he did. Thank you. Before. He's retired now from everything, from life. And then Joe Hegland. He is invaluable to me. He always, like, sets up the audio equipment and everything and prints the things and does all the stuff and interjects a lot of funny comments. And I do nothing. He does nothing. He's just here to look pretty. (laughs) I am. I am good at nothing. He's the eye candy of a yes. <laughs> so I mean, look at that backwards that makes hat. Sense. Yeah. You wear it so well. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. So tonight we're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. Everybody knows a little bit about Jeffrey Dahmer, probably, right? He's kind of a household name in American true crime. He was an American serial killer and sex offender who committed the murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1981. Many of his murders involved necrophilia and cannibalism. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Mm-mm. Oh, I'll eat both food and you are ready. As they're eating right here. <laughs> Enjoy your Mexican food and salsa and meat. Although he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, schizotypal personality disorder, and psychotic disorder, he was found to be legally sane in his trial, and he was sentenced to 16 terms of life imprisonment. So, I mean, like, we've done some of these, and a person's only maybe gotten, like, convicted of one yeah. or something like this. He had 17 on that, but even still, for someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, that seemed like a whole lot. I mean, that's was, was yeah. there more... That's but a good. Wait. Yeah. Is there more? But wait, there's more. <laughs> I, Potentially. I 
think, and this is just me talking as a true crime buff, I think there are more. I think there are definitely more than 17 people because we're going to find out in a little bit. He didn't just live in Milwaukee. He's known as the cannibal of Milwaukee, the Milwaukee cannibal, the Milwaukee monster, lots of different names, but he lived in Florida. He lived in Germany, and he was around when a lot of other murders took place. And I'm just going to say, I think his MO fits in with a lot of those murders, and I think he did a lot more than just 17 of them. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But first, let's talk about his early life, because we always like to talk about what makes a serial killer a serial killer. And I think he had a few of those things that are like, you know. Yeah, how were, how were her, how was his parents? Let's his start there. Parents. As always. So he had a pretty normal life, you know, middle class upbringing. His dad was a research chemist. His mom was a teletype instructor, whatever that means. I'm not sure what's a typewriter. Does anybody know. know what a teletype is? I, I think did, it's an old fashioned way of texting. I think so too. I yeah. did look it up. So I'm oh, what is it? Them. I don't know. Don't ask me these questions but i mean like so when you're looking at this kind of stuff though as we've come to know like obviously something's normally messed up with the parents mm-hmm. like what I yeah mean, so I, are we talking mommy issues here i think there are were we... some major mommy issues like his mom was normal ish but she had some issues he was born in 1960 in milwaukee his parents were lionel and joyce lionel was a pretty good dad with no major issues other than his career kept him away a lot away from home but you know a lot of people work long hours and don't have serial killers for children so that um, they know of that they know that of they know of. yet but Dahmer's mom, she had some things going on. She was known to be tense, greedy. She wanted attention. She wanted pity. She was argumentative with her husband and their neighbors. She was a hypochondriac. She suffered from like major depression. Um, she wanted constant attention, and she spent a lot of time in bed. I like to spend a lot of time in bed, too. Um, hmm. What? I mean... <laughs> But um, she attempted suicide at least once, maybe more. But yeah, so mom and dad, Lionel and Joyce, they argued a lot. And that just made Jeffrey Dahmer, little Jeffrey Dahmer, feel unsafe. He wasn't with a solid family. He just didn't know, you know, where things were going. So he felt always unsure of the future, kind of. His teachers would say that they, teachers would say that early on they detected some abandonment issues with him. So he definitely was like yearning for a solid family foundation and did not get it. So, and we hear that a lot with serial killers. Remember that. Remember that. Yeah. Don't be like that. Yeah. I think we need to do like a show about how not to raise a serial killer. That would be great. That would be like opposite of everything we've talked about. Yeah. It would. It would be a very positive. We should do that. We should do, you know, a a whole like workbook. Like, did you do this today? Ooh, a coloring book? Yeah. I mean, all of that stuff. Checklist. Just like change it up one month and just be like, instead of, we're going to talk about someone who has it all together and had a healthy childhood. And Here's what is to like do. like a pillar of the community. Yes. And didn't like eat people. Like right. And yeah. Like, yeah. But tonight we're telling you what not to do. So don't do what Joyce did. 
By the age of six, Dahmer's family would move to Akron, Ohio for Lionel's job. Shortly after this, Dahmer would get a new baby brother and his parents let him choose the name and he chose the name David. I think this was an attempt to kind of bring him out of his shell, get him to interact more with the family. But in elementary school, he was quiet, timid, and shy. And he showed an early interest in dead animals. There it is. There it is. (laughs) Yes, part of the McDonald triad coming into play again. Yeah, he just was oddly thrilled by the sound of the animal bones clanking together. And actually, he called them fiddlesticks. He would bang them together. Yeah, my kids don't do that. Thank goodness. (laughs) But he would search beneath the family home for dead animal carcasses. And he was just really obsessed with dead animals, skeletons. You know, he liked to know about parts of the body. Inquisitive. Very inquisitive. I mean, that can be a good thing. Or... It could, I mean, like his dad was a research chemist, so well, maybe there he... There you go. Yeah, it was all for science. Well, his I dad did say as a, like, science person, he was really proud of his little boy, like, for being inquisitive and wanting to know about the human body and things like that. And he thought at first, he's like, oh, I've got a little doctor on my hands or something. No. <laughs> Not quite. No. A little, little bit different than that. A little different. Okay. He crawled beneath the beneath house. Beneath the house looking for skeletons. Sometimes he'd save the carcasses and the bones in formaldehyde, preserve them, like when his family would have like a chicken dinner or something he would save the chicken bones and bleach them and save them and oh yeah totally totally normal this yeah. actually that, i mean that, well, that's part of our thanksgiving yeah yeah, yeah. it's just you take I mean, down the turkey to well, the, right yeah. to the bone shoot my kids do find the wishbone very well, intriguing but not a serial killer does that make so no but this really makes me want to go vegan like i was eating while i was preparing this episode and i was eating meat and i was like i think i'm gonna go vegan this month maybe after reading about this I wait till after thanksgiving Oh, they I plop I that can't. big turkey just right on the table. Right. And that's all oh, you can think about. That's all I can uh, think about is Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> so his fascination. Happy Thanksgiving, I know. everyone. Yes. Hope that cross oh, yes. While you're sitting there with the Thanksgiving so there, meal is Jeffrey are, Dahmer. Yes. There are going to be recipes, you know, cooking tips. There's going to be food and eating involved in this. Probably not anything you're going to want to equate to your Thanksgiving dinner. Can we, can we tell Jeffrey Dahmer jokes? Oh, heck yeah. Do you know what Jeffrey Dahmer had in his shower? Uh, head and shoulders. True. Uh, That's true. He did. I'll do more. As I, go along. <laughs> I love the groans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, where are we at? Yeah, so as he got older, his fascination with animals and death would get a little more graphic and gory. And coincidentally, every year that he would go a little more off the edge, his mom was also like popping more pills. Her mental illness was getting worse. So it had something to do with that. As a teenager, he would start collecting roadkill, dissecting animals. And then by the age of 14, he was a severe alcoholic at 14. He was bringing booze with him to school, hiding it in his jacket. He couldn't get through the day without being drunk, really. And he called it his medicine. Well, he's not wrong there. What, Jay? (laughs) No, I know. But you should be of age. I mean, it's not high school, but I mean, I'm... Does that make me an alcoholic? You don't drink. No. But he was 14. You're 86. I'm just kidding. Um, He was quiet in school. 
school staff thought he was a polite kid, polite enough. He had average grades. He was actually a good tennis player, and he was in the school band. So Model student. He was trying. When he reached puberty, he had discovered that he was gay, but he did not feel comfortable telling his parents about that. So he repressed it, and he developed really violent sexual fantasies and constant thoughts of dominating a sexual partner, like a submissive male attacking someone, murdering them, and dissecting them. That's bad. Yeah. That's, yes. that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in school, he did, though. I, has anyone watched My Friend Dahmer, the movie My Friend Dahmer? Yeah. It's pretty good, actually. It's a good movie. I watched it, too. Fact <laughs> so, or fiction? That's fiction, right? No. I mean, it's pretty factual, Is I it? think. And it talks about, in the movie, that he was total class clown. He tried to get friends by being the class clown. He was not PC, though. He would have, like fake seizures or he would fake like a mental or physical handicap trying to make people laugh that way. We're going to fast forward a little bit to his senior year. His mom and dad were fighting more. They decided to call it quits. His mom and dad both moved out of the house, leaving Jeffrey Dahmer alone with a home, just alone by himself. So he was living alone in the family home. And in 1978... Just three weeks after his graduation from high school, he would commit his first murder. So he got started right away. Like he right did, away. He, he skipped college out. and went straight to, straight to murder 101. Murder. Yes. All right, good. Yeah. Yeah, he, right. No, no student loans, straight to murder. Total, to murder. yes. No debt. No debt. No. Just murder. Just murder. Good for <laughs> him? Uh, no. So on June 18th, he picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks, who was almost 19, and he lured him back to the home on the premise of having a few beers, hanging out, listening to music. And this kiddo was on his way to a rock concert. And in the late 70s, everyone was on their way oh, to a yeah, rock. Every horror movie is yeah. like, hey, we're going to hitchhike in our and go to a rock concert or we're on our We're, we're going to California. Whatever. Like everyone hitchhiked then. Why? You don't really see that anymore. There's Everybody died. Anymore. That's died. why. That's, yeah. yeah. Do, do we know what the concert internet he was happened going to? and I everyone found out that everyone died hitchhiking? Yes. I'm pretty sure most of them out. died. They did. Yeah. yeah. They all well. died. So Hicks, his victim, made it very obvious that he was not gay. Dahmer was. He knew that he was going to try to escape if he made any advances on him. So as Hicks was sitting there in a chair in the living room, Dahmer took a 10 pound dumb bell and hit him in the head, knocking him out. And then he put the dumbbell on his throat, strangled him, basically, and what killed is. him. So that was number one. The following day, he dissected Hicks's body in the basement. He buried the remains in a shallow grave in the backyard. Several weeks later, he unearthed the remains. He removed the flesh from the bones, dissolved it in acid, flushed it down the toilet, crushed the bones with a sledgehammer, and scattered them in the woods behind the family home. Now, so, that's like quite a way to start. I mean, it's I know. not just doing that. It's like, boom, just everything. He just, like, just eviscerated. Like, there was no trace. No trace. That body was gone. So this is something he confessed to later on. He did, okay. yeah. You don't just think that. 
like that. I mean, well, I mean, you, I guess you can't, but it's not without like planning or something. You're that, or he had a long night ahead of him to plan that yeah. out before things happened or something. And he that was, was young too. Like that's a quick way to get started. He was a born dad. professional. Like he just knew his trade very well, knew what to do, I guess. So, so six weeks later, he enrolled at Iowa or Iowa, Ohio <laughs> State University, hoping to major in business. But he quickly found out that his severe alcoholism and college classes didn't mix. He flunked out in the course of about three months, all of his classes, and he dropped out. And then his dad wanted him to enlist in the U.S. Army. So he did, and he trained as a medical specialist at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. That'd be good. So he probably learned additional skills doing that. That sounds helpful. Yeah. And then in 1979, he was deployed to Baumholder, West Germany. He was a combat medic there, and he was average or slightly above average as a soldier but again he was drunk all the time like he would start drinking the second he woke up always drunk combative he was a mouthy drunk and so it just really interfered with military life so he had a hard time with that coincidentally here's one thing you don't hear a lot about when you hear about Jeffrey Dahmer while he was in Germany there were at least five murders of women near the US Air Force base where he was stationed from 1979 to 1981 these were brutal murders in which the victims were mutilated kind of fit in with Jeffrey Dahmer's M.O. Do you think he might have committed these? I think he might have. Do you know what Jeffrey Dahmer's favorite fruit is? What? Chopped dates. Chopped dates. Never mind. Okay. Yes. I'll find a different one. We ah. get We get it. I, I got it. That was, ah. it was, I mean, it was ah. a good joke. <laughs> For people just listening to our microphones, the audience is silent. <laughs> <laughs> We should have the camera turned towards the audience. Can they see? Yeah, we're all on there. Hi. Oh, there's people watching oh, there us. Look at Hi, that. people. <laughs> the MO of those German murders didn't totally fit in because he was gay. He was attracted to men. But I'm thinking maybe it could still fit. He could have been experimenting. Like He was big on learning the human body. So it's possible that he had something to do with these murders. So Two men would actually also come forward from... From his time in the military and told a story that they had been drugged and sexually assaulted by Jeffrey Dahmer during their time in Germany, but they were too scared to come forward. They didn't want people to think they were gay or, you know, there was that huge fear factor with stuff like that at the time. People just would keep it to themselves rather than come forward, but he drugged them assaulted them. He also, in Germany, when he would get really drunk, he would confess to that first murder in Ohio. He would say to the peers in the military, I killed a guy once in Ohio. Here's how I did it. And a lot of people recounted that story. People thought he was full of shit, basically, and never took it seriously. So Yeah, like he'd do something like that, is what they Yeah, thought. they're like, oh, he's just a drunk. He couldn't handle that. But yeah. That's a very specific story. It was super specific. For people to be like, I know. <laughs> Jeffrey. Yeah. Just oh. being silly. Like, <laughs> that's like. <laughs> oh, that Jeffrey. And then I crushed up his bones. That's too much. You're full of shit. <laughs> we laugh about it, but you have to find something to laugh about in cases like this because they are so dark and so hard to talk about. So we don't mean disrespect, but, you know, we're making right. fun of him. So. 
Hey everybody, it's Kelly. I wanted to take a moment to thank you all for listening to True Crime IRL. Because of your support, our show has grown a lot over the last few months. I especially wanted to thank the people who have recently dropped a tip in the TCIRL tip jar. Cheryl Bullock in Illinois, thank you so much. Your donation was very generous. Hope to see you at our live show December 11th. I also need to thank Jillian F. in Minnesota and Mike G. in Nebraska. If you would like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do that. First, you can go to truecrimeirl.com and click on the donate button in the middle right side of the homepage to drop a tip into the tip jar. Next, you can unlock lots of special features by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash truecrimeirlpodcast for more information on supporting the show. You can buy True Crime IRL merch on the website truecrimeirl.com and click on merch in the top menu. And finally, subscribe to the show and review it. Your five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen is a huge help in getting the word out about our podcast. Again, thank you to everyone who has donated recently. You guys are amazing, and I cannot thank you enough. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Because of his constant drinking, though, he was deemed unsuitable for military service and he received an honorable discharge. So when you leave the military, when you're overseas, you get a plane ticket to wherever you want in the U.S., basically. And where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Where did Jeffrey want to go? He wanted to go to Miami, Florida because he was sick of the cold and he was afraid to disappoint his parents, (laughs) which he would do later, (laughs) big time. So he went to Miami, Miami. He went to Miami, Miami, Florida, which has a high crime rate, and it really did in 1981 while he was living there. So he went to Miami. I'm just gonna say, I mean, I think there are a lot of murders in that area too that could be attributed to Jeffrey Dahmer because he was kind of a homeless drifter when he lived in Miami. He didn't have an, a permanent address. He lived with along with the homeless population for a while, or he lived in like the closet of a place where he worked. So he didn't really have like a home. But there was a story you were telling us about yeah. that might be true that would relate to this time. Yeah. Around that Florida. So that sounded kind of crazy. Yeah, in the Hollywood, Florida area. You all know the case of Adam Walsh. His dad was John Walsh from America's Most Wanted. Jeffrey Dahmer was living in that same town at the same time that this happened. And there were a couple abduction attempts at malls in the area that were foiled where he was not successful. But everybody described the same assailant. And they had enough memory of what he looked like to be able to do police sketches. And every police sketch came up looking exactly like Jeffrey Dahmer. And he lived just a few miles from the mall where Adam Walsh was abducted. 
And, you know, that murder was blamed on Otis Toole, another serial killer who's really well known. But he was also known to confess to murders that he actually didn't commit. And they ended up, you know, later saying it probably wasn't Otis Toole. And it's still basically unsolved. There were a few people of interest. But I think Jeffrey Dahmer's a really very viable option as to who did that. This week I was talking to an author who wrote a book on this, the Walsh case, how it relates to maybe Jeffrey Dahmer. His name is Willis Morgan. He wrote a book called Frustrated Witness. He was actually one of the witnesses in the Adam Walsh disappearance and murder. It's a book you should read if you're interested in stuff like that. So read so, the second edition, though. Yeah. How sure was he that there was the potential of Jeffrey being involved with this? Was he like like this this witness? He's, no, the, the the author every fiber of his being he's like when he saw the footage of jeffrey dahmer he's like that was the guy that's mm-hmm. the guy i saw like he knew it immediately he's talked to the police and numerous detectives he's talked to every other witness and they all kind of are in agreement that that might have been who abducted and murdered adam walsh so <laughs> the adam walsh case there's just a lot to that because Adam Walsh's mom was having an affair at the time and they kind of pinned the murder on the person she was having an affair with. But then later he was found to have not had anything to do with it. There was just a lot going on in that case. Lots of theories and stuff, but could have been Jeffrey Dahmer. So, And at the time, Jeffrey Dahmer was working in a sub shop, like a sandwich shop. And one day he went into, he was taking trash out. He came back into the business and told his um, the owner of the shop, he was like, I just found a dead body out in the alley by the dumpster. <laughs> I just found a dead body. And it's thought that, you know, he did a police report and all of that stuff, but it's thought that it was actually someone he had killed and dumped it was like oh it's just a homeless guy he just died there randomly but it's probably thought that Hmm. he did that one too so so there's (laughs) like how do you come in and like say like i found a dead body i found it like i've like what was in the way that he said that like i I mean we don't have that i found a dead body (laughs) hey probably by the way can i have tuesday off by the way there's a dead body in the back and just in general, the idea of working in a sandwich shop where he's slicing meat and like putting it on bread uh, itself kind of like just yeah, throws up. It's internship. Internship, and, right. Okay, okay. I would not have wanted to eat a sandwich from this place anyway because he was basically homeless. He like come to work still drunk, dirty, like just gross and probably who knows what he was doing with his hands the night before i don't know so <laughs> how many yeah. serial killers have cooked your food i don't know i don't want to know nah. i don't want to know yeah something to think about florida had the death penalty Dahmer never admitted or confessed to killing adam walsh but a lot of people think it's because florida had the death penalty and he was like very fearful of the death penalty at the time he did not want to get the death penalty that is like for someone who enjoys killing someone i know i mean well i mean but obviously you don't want to die i mean it's not like he's sitting there like yeah but i mean that's kind of like an odd luke i'll have one too thank you so i didn't interrupt the podcast to get a beer you're gonna interrupt the podcast get a wine yes joe i'm good thank you joe needs one too i'm good okay thank you for asking okay so in 1981 he was like over florida he's ready to go back to wisconsin aren't we all i know yeah i mean florida's it's great in some ways but there's a lot of crime so a lot of murder a lot of serial killers yeah 
So he called Lionel, his dad, and was like, Dad, send me a ticket home. I want to come home. So he did. He lived with his father in Ohio for a while. Then he moved with his grandma in Wisconsin for a while. And he continued to battle severe alcoholism. He got arrested for like indecent exposure a couple times and public intox and things like that. But he really actually loved his grandma. He'd go to church with her, help her with chores, and he did his best while he was living with her. He even held down a job for like almost a year while he was living with his grandma. He was a phlebotomist. I find it funny that like everything he did was like medical related. Uh, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do you know what you know about it? Yeah, they too. take blood. Yeah. 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 Right. And yeah. stuff. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I'm a technically one and I don't. Oh. He worked in medical stuff and with meat. But I'm assuming he didn't stay that way forever. I'm he did. Not knew. even a year. So oh, not. Thank you so much. Thank you. Just dump that in that. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> okay. By 1985, he was spending a lot of time in bathhouses in the Milwaukee area. Weren't we all in 1985? I mean, hello. In my head, there's like 70s disco music going on, and I'm, that's in why the 80s. I'm doing this. <laughs> 70s music. Yeah, in the 80s. No, it'd be more like, It's a bathhouse, so they got, me, they got to catch up. Do they have bathhouses anymore? I don't know. I, but I still imagine that they have disco music. I don't music. think they do, but they would. Totally. Like, womp, womp, chicka, womp, womp, so he found a lot of sexual partners at the bathhouses, but these men weren't quite fulfilling his fantasies because they were alive. He began drugging. Barnett. I know. <laughs> he began drugging his partners and engaging in sexual acts with their unconscious bodies. And in 1987, he would pick up 25-year-old Stephen Toomey in a bar and he would take him back to a hotel where he'd wake up the following morning after being blackout drunk the night before and he would look over and see a dead man's body laying next to him. Judging by his own cuts and bruises on his hands and arms, it was evident that he had killed Toomey. So he hauled his body back to his grandmother's house where he would get rid of it through a combination of dismemberment, acid, and pulverizing the bones with a sledgehammer. As he've already has practiced. Yeah. He gets, he gets better. Do what you know. Yeah. There were 17 victims, and I they each deserve a lot of time, but I'm not going to talk about all of them because we would be here for a really long time. One of his victims in 1989 was an aspiring model, Anthony Sears, and he found Sears exceptionally attractive. That was his favorite victim. So after he killed him, he preserved Sears' head and genitalia in acetone, and he stored them mm -hmm. in a wooden box, and he later took that wooden box to work with him and put it in his work locker so that he could see it every day. Aww. Even when he moved, every time he moved... He'd take the remains with him. That That's charming. I mean... I mean... Oh, I don't know. There were so many killings, and they went on through 1991. In 1991... Okay, I'm going to butcher this name, mm -hmm. but Conorak Synthesymphony. Synthesymphony. Synthesymphone. I don't know. Close. But yeah. he was a 14-year-old boy. He had drugged him, injected this acid into his brain to kind of turn him into a zombie. He thought he was rendered helpless and unconscious. So Dahmer had enough confidence to go out drinking at a bar and leave this kid alone in his apartment. 
the child, 14 years old, he woke up, he was able to leave the apartment, and he was found by three girls in the neighborhood just kind of like wandering and talking incoherently. And they were very concerned because they knew him. He was a Laotian immigrant. And like I said, 14 years old, he didn't speak English. And they were very concerned. They called 911 and they stayed with the kid until police came. So police came, Dahmer got back from the bar and talked to police and he was able to kind of like charm them enough where they thought that it was like um, like a domestic incident and that they were actually lovers. He told them that this 14-year-old little boy was actually 19 of legal age. Police sent this kid back with Jeffrey Dahmer. They marked it off as just a domestic dispute. They claimed that they didn't want to seem like they were... Like not discriminatory towards... That's the word I was looking for, yes. Thank you. Um, But they walked them to the house. They went into the apartment. They smelled decomp smell. They knew that something wasn't right, but they just wrote it off, left this kid there, and immediately then Dahmer killed him, and the rest is kind of history... I think in general, just all this stuff kind of sticking with the other ones. Just yeah. that ability to be charming, the ability to like yep. pull people in. I mean, the amount of different ages of people, the amount that they're able to talk people into. To, hey, come on over and yeah, like pose nude and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's just crazy. Like, yeah. their ability to talk people into stuff, which obviously, I mean, kind of plays that whole idea of their personalities. And, and as, as time went on with his victims, you know, he was trying to basically create a human zombie. That's why he would inject acid into their brains and he had a drill that he would make a hole into their head into their brain and inject acid that would render them or hot water or something like that would render them kind of like they were still living but unable to you know do anything or fight back at all so like a vegetable but still alive or still awake and yeah yeah, they would usually stay alive for a couple days and then he would dismember them he would save body parts of his favorite victims like the head the genitals and he would frequently save skulls of his victims he would like boil the head get the skin off all of that and just save the skull but it would kind of sometimes make them like brittle so he would have to throw it away but this was an apartment complex that he lived in towards the end yeah correct? i was gonna say what in did my the neighbors notes, have to say some of the neighbors noticed like a smell well, you would yeah. Hope. yeah so 17 men he killed between 1978 and 1991 12 of them were killed at his north 25th street apartment three were killed and dismembered at his grandmother's house and his first and second victims were murdered at his parents home in ohio and at the ambassador hotel in milwaukee so a total of 14 of his victims were from various ethnic minority backgrounds nine of them were black but he was adamant that race never played a part in the choosing of his victims which i find a little hard to believe when it was that many but his final victim was july 19th this was 25 year old 
Arthur Braidhoft. He was the father of three children. He was looking for work in Milwaukee at the time of his murder. He was decapitated. His head was placed in the refrigerator and his torso was placed in the notorious 57 gallon drum that sat in the corner of Dahmer's bedroom with all the bodies of the people. Yeah. I just can't imagine you living in an apartment and the guy has a 57 gallon drum full of body parts. <laughs> just in the corner. Been there like for a while. Yeah. And just no one pointing that or even just I would say to a degree like he's already talked people into this. They've come into the house. Like the moment you step foot in this place wouldn't that like smell just immediately be like something doesn't seem right. Like yeah. I don't know what you have going on in here but like that's not cool. Don't you think maybe he had like a tablecloth over it with a nice lamp. There you <laughs> go. Pictures of grandma and grandpa on the on Yeah, just kind of yeah. 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 Some mints or some butter essential candies. oils for sure. No, like maybe. he would need some peppermint essential oil in that there place. There was no Febreze then probably. No. And and to like spray. And like and 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 like Kelly said, you know, we kind of joke about this. We're not trying to make, you know, make it any less horrible than what it is. We're just trying to make we're trying to ease some of the because you got to think about how gruesome this is. It's like one of the probably one of the worst serial killers that we've had in the United States. Yeah. And just what he did to these bodies was these young men are just he's definitely one of the worst I've ever read about or covered. The only one who is like who like parallels with him is Bob Berdella, the butcher of Kansas City, who I did an episode about also on True Crime IRL. So listen to that. He was he, he just tortured his victims and did kind of the same thing, tried to like render them like a human zombie kind of thing. But like, where do you even like come up with that? Kind of, I mean, just like thought. I mean, I know he spent some time in. Obviously, he was in the military. He did some medical stuff there. He did some stuff when he came back. But just like, I mean, to have what what you had available at the time to even yeah. think of stuff like that. I mean, I, obviously, that's why we're not serial killers, right? Because we're not thinking of that stuff. But I, that's like yeah. crazy. I think that something happens in the brain of a serial killer where they are at an age where they correlate something sexual with violence or something at the same time and then it just gets like mixed up in their developing so brain. Rewiring kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I think just, so. Like, they have that, they bridges that connection. Yes. Yeah. And so it just kind of, yeah, they have one drive, it kind of mm-hmm. feeds the other drive mm-hmm. kind of thing. Where like violence correlates with sexual stimulation or something like that. Yeah, Anna. So how did he get caught? How did he get caught? He had a couple people get away. Tracy Edwards. Oh, yeah. He said he was not going to run away, but he... Oh, he needed to use the bathroom. Yes, I knew this. I knew this. I just forgot. He was handcuffed. Yes, he went to police. He was still... Like, he stopped police. He still had handcuffs attached to one of his wrists and flagged them down. And then the police, he took them to the apartment and they found all the stuff. Like, they found 60 Polaroid pictures of men in bondage or men who have been murdered or dismembered and they found um, like some skulls in the refrigerator and body parts in a deep freeze they found pots on the stove of genitals that's how we got how's that pizza jeff how's that pizza (laughs) that good yeah (laughs) thanks jamie 
his trial began in 1992. He was sentenced to life imprisonment on several of the murder charges. His parents were really upset after this. And I mean, obviously, yeah, they were the proud parents sitting in the courtroom like, (laughs) like fighting for this like they were. I think they believed that he did it. But I mean, it was just kind of a hard pill to swallow to think that your son actually followed through with this and and did that. Right. So he went to prison. He went to um, Columbia Correctional Institution for the first year and then he and he was placed in solitary confinement because people were concerned about his safety because you know what they do to serial killers and people like that. He was in prison. He wouldn't serve out his sentence, obviously. Um, after a year of solitary confinement, he really was like ready to get into the normal prison population, even though it was probably going to be the death of him. He knew that. Um, he just didn't want to be alone anymore. He was on work detail with two other prisoners, and one of them, who was known to be schizophrenic and had already put death threats on him, was with him and they were on toilet duty and the one prisoner beat him to death with a metal bar. It's that prison justice thing that prison I've justice, talked about yes. before, which I don't condone. So was so. he sentenced for a life in prison or was he sentenced yeah, like to death? Life in prison because Wisconsin didn't have the death penalty. So he was killed in prison. Really, the rest is history. There have been so many books, movies, TV shows, documentaries, so many things made about Jeffrey Dahmer and his story. One of the most bizarre cases. And I just remember stuff on TV of them wheeling that 57-gallon drum out of that apartment building. In their hazmat suits and all of the boxes upon boxes of body parts. How would you like like to be the pathologist to open up that barrel? I actually, well, not the barrel, but I would have liked to be working on that crime scene because it would have been very interesting and gore like that does not bother me. I just would have found it very interesting. You are demented. I am very (laughs) demented. I just find that stuff yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess that's how you start a podcast about talking about that's a bunch right. of people that's killing each other. That's why I have a podcast. Yeah. The barrel would have bothered me. So, but it was full of chemicals. You have your limits. I have my limits. Yeah. Like body part sludge is not something I want to deal with. But yeah, like when police came in, they said it smelled like very heavily of chemicals, but also decomp smell. Yeah. That's got to be a weird combination. Probably really bad. Does anyone who who knows a lot about the Jeffrey Dahmer cases, victims, anything like that? Get over here and come up to the microphone. What do you where are you from and what's your name? My name is Matt Foy. I live here in Manchester. Oh, hi. Uh, but nice, origi- thanks for coming. Northern Iowa. You know a lot about Jeffrey Dahmer. I, I, I know about a lot. But yeah. Some stuff. What did I miss that's interesting? Chime in. Well, I don't know, Mr. Whole Lot. Um, just a little bit about um, you got a, the first victim was important, Stephen Hicks. The, yeah. The Ambassador Hotel incident. Yeah. I don't know, I've, I've been to his apartment building and I've been to the Ambassador oh, Hotel. Oh, you're a dark the tourist. The apartment uh, is gone now, of course. 
Yeah. There was a major public fight over whether that was going to be a memorial garden, um, but the city refused and eventually it just became a parking lot. Just forget about it, basically, yeah, not memorialize city, city it. Yep. memorialize it. This murder, um, he was killed by Christopher Scarver, a man who allegedly thought he was uh, a godlike figure. Yeah. And then uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's brain was hotly debated about whether they were going to really? donate to science or... Oh, I didn't uh, know that. What it, did they? I, yeah. I, had, I had heard that, something about that they were debating... There was, I think there was a legal battle. Um, his father wanted the brain just destroyed. His mother wanted it studied for science, and eventually they just it was destroyed. Oh, that's too bad. I think they should study the brains of people who are wired that way just to get insight. Yeah. yeah. And then I believe uh, Christopher Scarber is quite the jailhouse poet or something like really? that. Really? Yeah, but has a public, oh, uh, a public wow. communication. He's a regular John Wayne Gacy so, with the jailhouse a, art. A little more articulate. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Didn't Gacy do a picture of Dahmer's skull or something like that? Or was that? Probably. I I mean, there's a skull picture that I brought when we did um, John Wayne Gacy, but like he did. I went to the Graveface Museum in Savannah, Georgia when I was in town for the Savannah Crime Expo, and they have the largest exhibit of John Wayne Gacy art, and he has done pictures of lots of serial killers, so want to say probably there was. So At the trial, the, he, he had a diagram that he was trying to build a temple of his victim's bones or something oh, like that? Oh, yes, I remember that too, and he built an altar in his home with bones, skulls, all of those things. So Yeah, that's about that's about all I know off the top all of my right. head. Well thank you. Thank <laughs> you very much. Anybody have any questions or comments or anything? Okay, then let's drink. <laughs> What's next? What's next okay, on our so agenda? Okay, so next month we are doing the Jean Benet Ramsey case because it happened right at Christmas. It's already December next month, which is crazy to me. So we're going to talk about Jean Benet Ramsey. Maybe we'll bring in an expert. I hear there's a local one who lives here. So we'll see if we can get something going with that. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you, everybody, for coming. If you haven't listened to my podcast, grab a card off the tables and please do so. And if you want to give me a five-star review, I would love that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. You can give Joe and I a five-star review, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just saying. Thank you so right. much for Thanks, coming guys. out, and hopefully we'll see you next month. Until next Thank time, you. lock your doors, people. <laughs> True Crime IRL is written, produced, and hosted by Kelly Barron's Brink. Please subscribe to True Crime IRL wherever you get your podcasts and consider leaving a five-star review. Go to truecrimeirl.com for more information. Support the show by becoming a Patreon donor. Go to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also support the show by leaving a tip in the TCIRL tip jar. Go to truecrimeirl.com and click on the donate button. Or buy merch in the TCIRL merch shop. TrueCrimeIRL.com slash merch. Watch True Crime IRL on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Kelly Brink TV. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at True Crime IRL, all one word. True Crime IRL theme music is produced by the captain at True Crime Garage. 